Welcome, everybody, to the Investing or Gambling Podcast. I am your host, Ileana Mike, and I'm here with my trusty and loyal co-host, Dow30K, a.k.a. Colin Santucci. How are you today, Colin? Pretty good, thanks. Good. We got our special guest on this week, Marco Marzacco. How you doing, Marco? Doing well, doing well. Glad to be back. Yeah, glad to be back. Glad to, glad to see you here. Let me get real quick to the indexes. The Dow Jones Industrial Averages is now back over 31,496. The NASDAQ is sitting at 12,920, and the S&P is at 3841, and the Russell 2000, 2192. The VIX is sitting right around 2466. We've got some interesting things that are going on in the market. The bond market is on its way going crazy. The 10-year bond is now yielding 1.57, and the 30-year bond is yielding 2.30. Why do I bring this up? Because we've had a lot of movement this week with the Fed. We've had a lot of movement with interest rates. We've had a lot of movement in the market, very wild swings. We've had job report that was exceptionally well. But when you start looking through the details, you start thinking what's going on. Um, I've been watching the market pretty much steadily all week. Um, I've been off work due to my fact that my partner ended up getting COVID-19. I was exposed to him on Monday. Uh, I sit here and tell you that I am symptom free. Very good. And we were both in a truck together. We might as we might as well have been swimming in each other's spit. I'm still here. Um, no symptoms so far. I don't know. This is not a COVID show, but we're going to get right to the market here. Marco, I watched, um, I'm going to address this question to you. Yes, the, the jobs report, 379,000 jobs reported. Private sector jobs were only 117 as of ADP. I looked through the jobs report. It looked like it was all leisure and hospitality, which makes sense because we've had Texas open up. We've had New York start to come back a little bit. Uh, we've had California come back slightly. They're, they're lagging. Illinois, I can tell you, is right back, no matter what they say. Um, and Florida and what have you. Now, these were the jobs that were really, really punished a year ago. Have started coming back in the last couple of months, maybe. Uh, but yeah. there was other job losses that were disturbing to me. Um, construction, they said it was due to weather. Um, I'll I'll give them that much. Weather was horrible here the last month in February. It was a terrible month here, especially in the Midwest. But um, I'm not seeing, I'm seeing, you know, that, that this inflation that's going on that they're talking about that the Fed says is temporary. I don't believe that as far as I can throw a stick. I'll tell you why. When I see unit labor costs up 6% and I see productivity down 4%. You're not going to tell me that we don't have inflation out there. When I see commodities, wheat, corn, soybeans, lean hogs, you name it, copper, oil, gasoline. I'm telling you, it's at the high that I've seen in years, years, lumber, so the Fed can say that it's temporary. 
And as far as temporary is concerned, meaning that it ain't going to get any hotter, but things don't come down. I've never heard of giving somebody a raisin and taking it away. When the price of bread is $3 a loaf, I've never seen it come down to $2.50. Same thing with a lot of things that people need, utilities, all of that. That's my perspective. I think that we're going to have higher inflation and the Fed is out of control. Marco, what do you think? I think, yes, we are getting higher inflation, but I think that that's also just a natural function of a recovering economy. And that's even just textbook stuff right there. So I'm actually very comfortable with everything that I'm seeing uh, in the bond market in terms of the yield curve and, and how things are shaping up. It's actually normalizing. If you were to take a look at what the what short-term rates are doing in comparison to, say, if you just look at the throughout the curve, twos, tens to thirties, the curve is, is steepening, but it's also flattening towards the back end. So if you're to look at what a normally shaped yield curve looks like, that's what it's fitting itself into. And that's all very positive mechanics because basically you have participants in the bond market doing trades that are making money as the curve normalizes. So they're exploiting the previously kind of out of shape curve so that it goes back into a normal shaped curve. Um, and those are all very good things. In terms of the job report, the non-farm payrolls report is the most notoriously crazy Odd. economic indicator that exists. Okay. And people have been trying to predict this. You know, all of the resources on Wall Street have been used, you know, since the beginning of time to try and predict this report accurately, and it's just never been done. Nobody gets it right. You know, it's just, it's a crazy statistical model that the Fed uses to calculate the month to month changes. And sometimes it doesn't even mesh, it doesn't even tie in well with what we're really seeing, right? So we know that constructing jobs are in huge demand throughout the country, you know, as the migration from cities to suburbs and from states to states as has happened. Yes. So maybe, maybe some states have had some job losses, but other ones have had job gains. For instance, we know in Florida, there are reports that to get a construction crew to build something, is a three-month wait. Yes, right? because things are things are just so huge there. Yes, so you would think that would be offsetting stuff. Now, where I where we did see some losses in the report was also to be expected. We saw support for mining services for oil and mining services drop. I think six or eight thousand, and that should be directly related to the pipeline closure. Yes, got, yeah, exactly. Right? So exactly. that makes sense. That's fine. The construction losses don't really make sense, but I don't try to tie out non-farm payroll numbers to everything that I see because it's just not going to on a month over month basis because it's just such a statistically wild report. Now we saw huge gains in leisure and hospitality services, which makes sense because as the reopening has happened, as the percentages of states being allowed to have more people in restaurants go to uh, uh, you know, movies, movie theaters are opening up more now. So that makes sense. And so we're going to see big gains there. But we still see huge uh, uh, initial unemployment claims, weekly initial unemployment claims. So that's still a problem. That's still lingering. So 
while the non-farm payrolls report is a statistically based survey, that showed gains, great, but what did we see? We saw 300 and something thousand gains overall. Last week, we still had initial claims that were, what, 700 something thousand? I yeah, think they're, they're averaging about 750. It, 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 no, I think it's averaging, well, it depends how far you go back, but it's averaging even close to 800,000 if we right. go back like six or seven months right. every week, right? Co correct. And those are hard numbers. Yes. Those are actual people Filing. filling out the paperwork to receive benefits because they just lost their job that week or the week before. Right. So that's the big difference between unemployment claims and payroll data, right? Payroll is soft data, i.e. survey data, whereas weekly unemployment claims is hard data. It's an actual person filing an unemployment claim. So that's very important to note. Right. And the, and continuing, the, continuing claims continue to be high. Those continue to be high, and we also don't see big we're not seeing a, a big drop in them, well, which is basically saying the same thing. So as the reopening goes on, we would expect initial claims to drop off, and we would also see con expect continuing claims to drop, which is the chart that I tweet every Thursday that shows I the, two, the two data series next to each other. Yes. And right now, it's kind of stagnant. We're, we're, we're stuck in this rut, and we're just not getting the action we want to see. Hopefully, now that more states are reopening and there's been a real uh, pick up, you know, Connecticut is going 100% restaurants open, yep. you know, blue states are are opening up. It's not just red states. So no, no. This, 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 is a, this is a great thing. So all, all that said, we also got the ISM reports this week, which are my favorite uh, indicators for manufacturing and for yep. more importantly, the services sector of the economy. Yes. The manufacturing report was great huge prints. It was, you know, a very solid number. Yeah, I believe it was 54, which is pretty good. I think good. it was a little bit higher. I don't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head, but right. it was a very solid report, whereas the services report wasn't as strong as the manufacturing side, which is to be expected because services are still being hampered significantly by the shutdown. Yep. And so that's the problem with this recovery is that we're a services-based economy, but the nature of this shutdown has pummeled the services industry and that's not bouncing back like it should. So you typically when we bounce back from a recession, the services sector rips back to life and everything's great. We're not seeing that this time because of the nature of the shutdown. So until all the states fully open up, we won't see the typical bounce back that we normally get. And now because of work from home, the, the new form of the economy is going to be different than what it was going into, going into COVID. Right. Because right. now you have people working from home and there's less service jobs like you talked about last week in the buildings, yep. the trickle down et cetera, effect. cities. Yeah, there's a whole trickle down effect right there. Right. So especially in New York City, where you have all the banks and everybody moving down to Florida, they're just not using the same amount of people that they needed anymore. So there's there's a lot of there's going to be organic job loss going forward, whereas usually we get organic job growth. We're actually going to see job loss throughout a few different sectors. But there's going to be some growth in other places, which is good as, you know, new businesses open up in other states, you know, so there are some offsetting things. But overall, yeah. I think we still have a lot of wood to chop in terms of getting everyone back to employment and full employment is way far away. And Janet Yellen saying that our stimulus package will bring about full employment is completely crazy. Completely. So that that's totally wrong. I like what the Fed is doing. I'm, I actually like what everybody is doing in terms of stimulus and, and just 
it's better to err on the side of of too much than not enough. And I'm not worried about runaway inflation because technology does help offset that in terms of you know open source software, lots of different things. You know, obviously color TVs are cheap. You know, good stuff is cheap. Services side stuff is way up because we all know our utility bills, health insurance, and education costs have all gone way up, right? So that's another side of the equation. And gasoline. Yeah. So oil. And, and we've inflicted that upon ourselves through our new administration's energy policies. And yeah, that absolutely. could get worse. And that could be a real squeeze, right? Because every, I, I put this stat out every, about every week or so too. I think I, um, I don't want to throw out the numbers right now, but a one penny increase in the pump on an annualized basis is a lot of money out of consumers' pockets. Yes. Go so back to my tweets to see the exact numbers, but it's real. It's not, you know, it's, it, it's, it's not funny money. Like it's a real impact to people. Yeah. And you're already seeing people tweet about, Oh, wow. I just paid three fifty a gallon, you know, down right. in Florida, I'm getting close to four bucks or California is more expensive. I mean, that, that's a real hit to people it is. that pay, you know, every day. It's, it, and it, it affects the bottoms, the, the lower part of Comes the right out of your pocket more every than week. it does at the upper end of the scale. Right. So that's a problem. And it's almost ironic because this, you know, the new administration is all about, equity and helping out the bottom of the scale but some of their policies have hurt people right off the bat right and, the the and exactly the, workers, exactly yeah. the people who they say they're helping yeah. they're absolutely they're, they're getting hurt worse whether they're getting the hurt worse workers yeah or or hourly wage employees yes. who have to you know it, it's it's tough but overall and i'll just wrap up my opening my opening part with this I like what I'm seeing. We did a we were close to doing some technical damage last week on the S&P, but we bounced and things are are back in back in place. So, while we will see some more volatility going forward as the market adjusts to higher rates, it will adjust and I think we're headed higher and I think the economy is going to do well. There's going to be some tough cases with P as people have to get back to work and maybe do have to find new new forms of employment we're going to be okay and we're going to come out of this because people now realize that we can go back to a normal life. God. And that's it. I, I'm, I'm happy. It's good. I think we're in a good spot. Mm -hmm. uh, it, in light of the um, hospitality, leisure, uh, job growth, uh, this uh, report that came out, I, I guess, uh, you know, I, I'm looking at like a Darden and a Chipotle and then I'm looking at my friend who owns like a, a small restaurant. And um, I think there's a lot of headwinds for my friend that owns a small restaurant. Um, you know, that sector, I think in general is just going to be smaller uh, because, you know, everyone that closed, they're not, a lot of people aren't going to open back up. That forces more uh, that just right off the bat forces higher pricing for the consumer to dine in um, because, you know, there, there's less restaurants. Uh, you know, a lot of people are um, pretty much, you know, talking about the minimum wage hikes or employees are just asking for more, more money um, because, you know, they need to, uh, you know, they find that the job is maybe a little more riskier. Um, you know, think about somebody that wants to open up a new restaurant or a bar. Why would they want to do that after what they just saw? I mean, Look at the the regulatory uh, risks are incredible. The um, amount of cleaning, uh, you know, yeah, you have to buy regulatory cleaning, issues. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like even cleaning supplies, let alone food. Uh, you know, they're seeing inflation. So, 
you know, I just, th- I'm just a little concerned about that sector in general. I'm not talking about Darden. I'm not talking about Chipotle. I'm talking about the small business restaurant bar owner. I just, I'm a little concerned. I don't know how that bounces back like the way it used to. Um, and then again, like I'm looking at, um, you know, I think we saw, uh, you know, I talk about the importing that we're doing uh, and all the pent up demand with the containerships. I mean, like our trade deficit right now is pretty bad. <laughs> um, I think when uh, Trump, I think in January it was bad, maybe December. And that also has to do with pent up demand. We're not being, we're not able to produce as much. So we're just, you know, we're really depending on importing. And then you look at our debt and we're knocking on the door of 30 trillion. I know Ileana Mike always likes to talk about that because, um, you know, I think we have some headwinds at the same time. Um, you know, uh, I just want to say it's funny. I only hear from friends during sell-off. So, um, <laughs> you know, all my, all my friends are calling me up trying to like see if I got steady hands or not. So well, you should pretty much have steady hands at your age. All right. I mean, well, nobody likes to lose money, right? Well, so I understand. Yeah. <clears throat> but if again, though, everything you guys just talked about was a little on the contrarian side, to be honest with you. I get it, Marco. You're right. That you think everything's going to be okay. And I do too, in general. But what Colin just mentioned is 70% of our economy small businesses and if they can't come back like we did maybe we see a go ahead with certain corporations and we do see certain sectors go up but as far as the overall economy is concerned you're right there is huge pent-up demand because people have been cooped up more people are willing to go on vacation and buy a car. More people are very much willing to go anywhere other than their home right now because they've been stuck in it. But I'm going to take a little bit of a contrarian aspect to what you said about the Fed. And I don't want to... I don't believe... I believe the Fed is totally behind, uh, behind the curve. And they're so desperate to do what they have to do because they don't want to be wrong. And when you don't want to be wrong, you continue to to do the wrong thing. What I'm trying to say is that they don't want to raise interest rates. They keep telling everybody that they don't want to raise, when I mean interest rates, the short-term interest rates that Fed fund rates. But they're being dismantled as we speak when it comes to interest rates to the consumer. We're now up exactly from August, right around a point, a full point on the tenure. And the tenure is a, is a proxy for consumer borrowing. It's a proxy for credit cards. It's a proxy for a lot of things that consumer does. And I'm not, and it's the consumer, it's the 70% of the small businesses and consumers that make up the economy in the United States of America. It isn't the, it isn't the, the technology, it isn't any of that. 
it is still 70% of the consumer-based economy and services business that you just talked about. You're right. The next couple of months are going to be huge. But I'm going to take a contrarian look and let's go out six months from now. One thing you said that you always like to look at is the unemployment claims. And you said that there are continually high. Well, I think that they're going to can stay consistently high due to the fact that we're now going to be paying $300 more a week to people to stay home for a longer period of time. That was 400 in the stimulus package. It just got knocked down to three. The Republicans came back and said, wait a minute, that's too high. The Democrats came back and said, okay, we'll lower it to three, but we're extending it out to December instead of September. No, okay, go ahead. I'll, now, I'll just hear me out. So those people that are unemployed that are getting $300 a month, they're not construction workers, okay? They're not, they're gonna make more if they go back to work. It's the lower income. It is the hospitality industry. It is all of those industries that say, why would I go back to work as a waitress when I can make five, $600 a week, just staying home? So I, I see, I, 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 it, it almost, when I saw that number, I went, bam, wow. And then I looked at it and went, whoa, 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 whoa. If this unemployment, this extra unemployment continues to go through until December, I believe we'll have a push in the economy and then it flattens out. So the next three months are going to look really, really good. And I'm looking in toward the July, August, even September, when everything starts to go haywire. So, yeah, I agree with you as far as that we're okay. And you're right, interest rates, it, it, when you see the bond yields going up, it's usually a sign of growth. It's usually a sign of, Everything's getting, things are getting better. But another thing is that when you have interest rates, the lowest where they were, and they just keep creeping up and creeping up and creeping up, you start taking away that punch bowl. And it ain't the Fed taking away the punch bowl, it's the bond market. I, when I started listening, when I started getting interested in the stock market and in the economy, I was told one thing. The bond market never lies. <laughs> I'm just telling you, the bond market never lies. Let me guess, the bond market is smarter than the stock market? This bond market we've, is smarter than We've had than this all. debate numerous times. <laughs> the bond market is smarter than the Fed, and the bond market is smarter than the stock market. I will never forget who told me that, and I'm not going to mention his name on my podcast. Because that, that, that's fine. And I, I'm, I'm not going to go on the tangent of this debate. But that's all right. That, that's, a, that, that's why that, it's a debate. That's based in, in Wall Street lore. And, and honestly, I, I find that it's people who don't fully understand the, how the bond market works and don't understand bond math tend to just say, oh, well, it must be smarter. It just does something. When I could actually go through mathematical reasons why I could say that 
determining an equity valuation is significantly more difficult than determining a bond valuation just as you look at the capital structure of a company. But again, we're not going to go into the weeds on that discussion. That's I, I've that's tweeted fine. it out a lot of times. And it's, that's, more, that's Wall Street lore that is, that is people saying that bonds are actually smarter than stocks. When you have professionals of the exact same pedigrees operating in both markets okay. and are both looking to make money in the same way sure. and have access to the exact same amount of information. Because there's no way you could say that Bill Ackman at Pershing has, has worse information than Bill Gross did when he was at PIMCO, right? Oh, no. Every, that... it, it, right? So they're getting the same information. Right. So there's no way that you could say that either market mm -hmm. is smarter. Right, because well, well go ahead. since go ahead. the bond market's larger, I guess, uh, would you say that maybe they're more powerful than the equity market or the stock market? <clears throat> no, it's larger, but it's actually lower risk just because the notional of a bond is $1,000 face value. So your typical investment is, you know, is larger in general, but, why, but it's also larger because it's safer and it's yeah. more predictable. That's good. Right. So yeah, equity, yeah, okay. by the nature of being less predictable, actually right. takes more intelligence and more insight to look into what's yeah. going on here than it does to value a bond, right? Because in, oh, it's hard. It's harder to pick the value of a stock over over a price of a bond. Is what that's very okay, so, yeah, exactly. It's so a great why, point. So, very so then why point. would you say the bond market is smarter than the stock market? Yeah, yeah. Well. <laughs> well, uh, we can get into that on another day because, <laughs> okay, because that's fine. That's risk, okay, but risk, risk is harder to swallow when the market is going down. Okay. Yeah, I mean, but that only reinforces why equities in are actually equities as in, in terms of, of transmitting information are going to tell you more because they can move around more than a bond will because a bond is restricted in its because a bond is literally the pre well also and well we're going to get into a little bit of academic stuff here a stock and a bond in theory are both the present value of a of a stream of coupons or a stream of payments in a stock it's dividend payments it's the present value of a stream of dividends in a bond it's the present value of a stream of coupon payments with your principal payment at the end of it, right? But both in theory are the value of a stream of payments, just in, in basic sense. But the value of those streams of payments fluctuate much greater in equity than they do in a bond, right? Because a bond is borrowed money, it's a contract, it's set, it's known. It has a coupon rate, it has an end date, it has everything, everything is known about it. it's a stated contract. Equities are live into perpetuity. They live forever. So there is no end date to it, right? It's just a, a stream of payments that goes out into infinity, basically. But from a bond investor's perspective, if you're going to lend money to a company, all you care about is that that company makes enough money to pay you back. Pay it back. And yeah. that's it. You don't care about that. Right. As an equity investor, you have to worry about, does this company have enough money to pay the bond guy first and then also give me money? So you have right. to figure out, is their business good enough to pay both of us? So just as an academic exercise, but who gets equity paid? investors have who to do extra work to figure out if there's enough money left over. So right. that, by definition, would make equities actually more, more intelligent than bonds. If we look at it from uh, that What you're trying to say, it's harder to pick equities than it is bonds. 
Yeah, because and, but the bond market is safer because of it. And the bond thought, market, the bond market yeah. would be safer because if a if a company goes to zero, the bond market gets the bond holder gets paid first before the equity. Obviously, the equity's at zero. Yes, exactly. But as a macroeconomist, uh, are you getting more information from? Uh, the stock market or from the bond market? They're both telling you the same things at the same time, because as interest rates fluctuate, it has an impact on equity prices the same way it does bond prices. Basically, it's not as mathematical, right? Because a bond price is directly related to changes in interest rates that changes the value of your coupons because your coupons are known. Hmm. Equity prices are based on what's called a discount, right? The equity risk premium. Happy you're bringing it up. <laughs> yeah, and and that's and and interest rates bear into that as well. Sorry, yeah. we're gonna hear some sirens or something going on. It's okay. I figured we were gonna talk about the discount rate right. at so some point. Rates, the discount rates exist across asset classes, and they are slightly different for every for every different asset class. But in terms, but as for equities. If interest rates go up, equity risk premiums also have to deal with that because the equity risk premium is the, it's made of a couple things. One of them is the risk-free interest rate, which is what bonds are also priced off of, plus a credit, a credit component, which is the riskiness of the company, right? So that's so it has that component to it as well. So their, their interest debt, rates always their debt costs more. What say that? Say it again. A, a company's debt. Starts as 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 interest rates go up, it costs more for that for that company to raise money. Yes, exactly. Well, to borrow money, all these growth stocks are borrowing money, so their PE ratio or automatically they they may have a value reset just based on higher rates too. That but yeah, yeah, exactly, and that's why you see if you look at the difference between LQD and HYG, LQD if interest rates go up a whole bunch, so interest rates rise a lot on one given day, you're going to see LQD actually drop in price, whereas HYG may still go up in price because equities are doing well, because a high yield bond actually trades in the marketplace closer to a stock than LQD, which actually trades on a spread to trade. You're about the high yield market? Yeah, the high yield market, the high yield bonds are more equity-like in nature than investment grade bonds that are, that are more like a pure fixed income instrument. So when high yield bonds fluctuate in price, they're actually more stock-like in their volatility. And right. even when you call when you call a bank to get a quote on a bond, if you're an institution, high yield bonds are traded are quoted in dollar prices, like actual bond prices, like $100 by 105 bid offer. Whereas investment grade bonds are quoted on a spread to treasuries. So that just tells you how the how they're completely different in nature, and that's why LQD trades differently than HYG. Even on it, so on it, what I'm saying is, on a day when the stock market is 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 moving higher, and interest rates are moving higher, you could see LQD go down in price because of the increase in interest rates, but HYG is going up in price because it's just a pure credit look. It's just all right, these guys are doing better. They're making money. The economy's going up. So high yield bonds actually aren't as interest rate sensitive in the short term as investment mm-hmm. grade bonds are, which is actually kind of an interesting discussion because a lot yeah. of people don't understand that. Do you, do you, tr- do you, tr- 
Do you I, trade I H-Y? About, I understand about that much of it. No, I don't. I, I don't. I don't look at those at all. But uh, formerly, when I was at Deutsche Bank, I was I was on a credit desk and I was dealing with stuff like that. So I understand. I understand the inner workings of the corporate bond market, and that's mm-hmm. why I'm able to convey that. And that's why I take such issue when people try to tell me that bonds are the smarter bond than stocks. Smarter. Yeah. I've worked with these people, everyone, and I can assure you they are okay. not smarter than anybody mm-hmm. else. I'm, so that's I'm why just, I take issue. I, I, I and I get that, and I get that, and I'm not. I'm just telling you what I was told. It, 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 everybody knows that. I've had this argument with with other professional traders all the time, and they actually insult me because they're saying, "Well, you, you have no idea. How can you go against this this saying that's been around for so long?" But right. I do because when you look at the math of it, and if you just break it down, it doesn't mm-hmm. make sense. Yeah, but right. the lore of it, it's like it's like a. Uh, a, a tradition that gets passed down generation to generation. Mm. And it probably started with one guy who didn't really understand the bond market. And in order to explain something, just said, well, you know what? Bonds are just smarter than stocks. And it's just been passed down from person to person forever right. because it's sexy. It's a good explanation yeah. that makes yeah. it sound good. But if you really dig into the nitty gritty of it, it doesn't work. Well, Mike, they're definitely uh, wealthy. You told me. You know the bond oh, investors or traders. I, I mean, they 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 definitely uh, can swing their weight around for sure. I, I mean, that I believe. And, and in a yeah. bank, you know, there's you know, you you probably would see higher pay scales on the interest rate side of things than you do in the equity world. Because I will say, from a trading perspective, it is more difficult to trade bonds and usually the derivatives that are associated with them than it is just regular equities, which are which are easier to trade. And it's a higher volume. Product. Yeah. Mike, tell them when you were on the floor, what you saw, well, what were they wearing? The I, was, I was invited to the CME in Chicago about five, six years ago. Maybe it was a little bit longer than I was going to say six years ago. And um, I was told uh, the guy that was, that got me, that invited me down there. He was a, he traded um, lean hogs. And they were still doing open cry there. There was pits around, there was milk. They were trading milk. They were trading all kinds of things. So when the CME was flying pretty high back about six years ago. So I asked him, I says, oh, what, what do you want me to wear? He says, oh, you better have a sport jacket on and yada, yada, yada. He says, and I'll meet you outside. So long story short, he meets us outside, gives, gives us the ID. We walked in, there was Rick Santelli sitting there talking on CNBC and everything else. And he did his little trade about nine o'clock and when the, when the pit opened up and I think he went long on and he walked away and he says, come on, I'll show you around. We're walking around and I go, what's that? He goes, Oh, that's where they're trading the 10 year bond. I go, really? He goes, Oh yeah. He goes, they trade 10 years and 30 years. And I go, how come they don't have suits on? They're, these guys were in, these guys were in ratty jeans, t-shirts, gym shoes. And I said, <laughs> Hawaiian button downs. Yeah. I said, what's up with these guys? He said, that's where all the money's at. I go, what? (laughs) He goes, forget about that. It's all here. He goes, those guys are millionaires and they trade for billionaires. He goes, that's where all the money's at. (laughs) And And I said, okay. And I didn't ask any more questions. And the next thing we know, we were sitting there having coffee at the Starbucks in there. And I'm like, don't you want to watch your trade? He goes, nah, 
he goes, I just put $400 on, on, uh, uh, the price going up. I need it to be about 75 before, and then I'll sell it right before I'll sell it or whatever, right before the end. I go, really? He goes, Oh yeah. He goes, all the actions at nine o'clock and all the actions at one o'clock when it closes. I'm like, yeah. Okay. And sure enough, we came back to that particular pit. There was nobody there. And I'm watching the thing and I go, how you doing? He goes, I'm up a hundred. And he comes back. He goes, Oh, Oh, I'm up 150 bucks. I go, that's it. <laughs> that's he a goes, true local. Yeah. But what's funny was right at the end of the day, there was another guy trading cattle at the end and some guy went completely nuts. I mean, he was like taking his hat, throwing it on the ground, spitting all over because he couldn't. And I said, what happened to that guy? He goes, he couldn't get out. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, Oh, he probably, he's probably down 15, 20 grand. I go, what? He goes, Oh yeah. He goes, you see a guy throw a fit like that. He goes, he couldn't get out. He goes, nobody wanted to take his contracts for that price that he was asking for. And I'm like, this is crazy. And he goes, yeah. yeah. And so I said to him, I said, man, this is so cool. I go, so what would it take for me to get involved in this? He goes, you got 2,500 bucks. I go, what do you mean? He goes, 2,500 bucks to get you a seat on the floor. I yeah. go, what? That's it? He goes, you had about $5,000 in equity. I go, what do you mean? He goes, 5,000 bucks to start out. You got 7,500? Come down and trade right now. I was astounded. That's all I can tell you. Now, here we are, six months, six years later, the only ones that are still trading on the floor of the CME are the bond markets. They're the only ones that are going out doing in the pits, selling bonds back and forth. And, and they're the only ones. Everything else is gone. Everything's like is that true, Marco. Mm, I think it might gone. just be option guys. I think it actually might be like some Fed fund futures type. Right. That's it. There. There's that nothing more to see in me. It's all everything. Every, everything is on the screens and yep. the floor guys, the way of doing business on the floors trading. Yeah. Haven't most of them for the most part, haven't been able to to transition to the screens because yeah. screens are actually where nobody can cheat and floors are where it was basically, I don't want to call it cheating. It was just mm -hmm. open kind of front running where yep. in the, say in the, yeah, in the I, go, screen, I go along with that one. Even the bond market pits, basically, you know, you had all the locals who were the market makers on the floor, which like yeah. your friend were just, you know, the regular traders there. And basically mm -hmm. they could see when, a big bond broker or a big broker from somebody was buying or selling coming in, right. they knew who the person was, they knew who he represented and they literally could see if he had tickets in his hands and you know, whatever, right. They knew, mm -hmm. all right, here's a huge trade coming in. Everybody what? get in front of that. They'll right. pay with the price and then we'll sell after that. And they oh, yeah. call it like being closest to the water when you're mm -hmm. on the floor, if you were close to a guy, a broker, then you yeah. would know where all the activity was, and you sure. know what was happening. So because you saw a guy making a move. You literally saw it. Yeah, you saw it. You knew where yeah. everything was going. Guys, that doesn't exist on screens. A guy talking on the phone going, da, 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 and you go, Oh, that's such and such. He's getting ready to make a move, dude. What yeah, you that's doing? literally it. That's, yeah. that's literally uh, what's he it. doing? So, so now you can't do that anymore with screens, well, which is why guys right. don't don't make right. it, right? Because screen trading is technical charts and it's at, it's a fair playing field now. It's except, so except now, instead of having guys on the floor 
sitting there with their tickets in their hands and you know guys getting ready to move we have social media we have reddit we have <laughs> stock twits we have yeah a little so that yeah, happens like uh-huh. in, in little things right right so that's how a game stop can happen but in terms, yeah. of, in terms of the commodity markets no right it's too large and nothing you know yeah. the, the chat rooms don't really have yeah you very seldom see anybody on reddit talking about the price of milk yeah, or or the the S and P five hundred as a whole. Go, go. So that's right. Mm-hmm. right. Know, that, that's a different that's a different animal. But yeah. for the game stops and the although they did mm-hmm. try to make a little run on silver, but I think that blew up in their faces. I it, don't think that worked out. Yeah, yeah, it did. And and I still I still hold physical silver in my closet here, and I'm gonna keep it for a while. You're right. I was there. That was shooting up to twenty eight, twenty nine, almost at thirty. Now it's back down to twenty five again, which I think it's still gonna go back up but it may take a while for that to do. Let's get into some individual stocks, guys. Uh, I know some of our listeners like to hear that. Um, We're going to, Colin, what do you think is, um, what if some of the moves you've made, uh, you have any? Sure. This can be like my closing too, because uh, this is what I was going to close on. Uh, So I said, I have a lot of friends that call me when the markets are down, but not when the markets are up or, horizontal. Um, and if you're concerned that your speculative growth SPAC stock is selling off like 30%, you should probably relax and realize that that is the risk reward you're getting into in the first place. Um, if you're selling stocks that are getting pounded now, I feel that maybe you're a little too late. Um, you know, you could have been trimming profits two weeks ago when, when we talked about the markets being on fire. Um, and, you know, to get into particular stocks, I don't really think it's appropriate for me to bring up any particular stocks because personally I'm not buying. I just don't have the cash right now. So I'm sitting this dip out, but if I did, I'd, I'd love a lot of, a lot of names. We always talk about grow generation. I mean, that's a very risky speculative stock, but I love that stock. It has come down so much too. I really like that one too also. And um, you know, it was funny because I was asking uh, my friend was asking for advice on like a moonshot you know, a home run, like what's something like the next Tesla. And the, f- the first thing I came to mind was Virgin Galactic. And y- I know you hate that stock, I hate it. you know, and, and you should, if you're a, a fundamentally value investor, uh, obviously. Um, and he bought a little of the uh, Virgin Galactic space SPCE. And I talked to him like two weeks later, which was this week. And he goes, Hey, I saw Elon Musk uh, had a successful launch for that stock I own, Space. And I was like, like, No, bro. Like, you invested in, in Virgin Galactic, not, not SpaceX. Like, <laughs> like, I hope you're not just buying stocks because I'm telling you to buy them. Like, I'm expecting you to go on their website, you know, do a little background research. Um, and, and it reminds me, you know, somebody was asking me, oh, what do you think about that SPAC ETF? Uh, it's up tremendously. I, I think I got to get in. This is the... And, and something like a SPAC ETF here, I'm, I'm a growth uh, speculative investor. Uh, I also own value stocks, but a SPAC ETF, I would like, I was like appalled to know that they even created one um, because it goes against like my morals. Like I'm, um, I get offended when people talk schmack on SPACs. Here I own DraftKings. I'm, I'm so, I have such high conviction on that name. I've done so much research on that name. You know, this is a company that's, almost like a cash cow already. They have no debt. Um, so I understand the business. So anyway, long story short, that's all I have to say about um, particular uh, stocks without giving financial advice on this podcast. Marco, closing? 
Yeah, I, I like the market. I think we're in good shape overall. I think we're going to have some short-term volatility as interest rates, uh, you know, move higher. But stocks and interest rates can rise simultaneously. You may see some ups and downs as the market adjusts to it, but we've had bull markets at much higher rates with, you know, the Fed raising rates simultaneously. So there will be some volatility, but right, rising rates are right now, it's a good thing. And it's just, it's, it's the market actually doing some natural things, which I, I think is a good thing. And I think we're, you know, we're in good shape. Um, yeah, I think that, I think that uh, the pent up demand for the economy and things are going good. Normally when you see bond yields rise, you normally see the market go with it. You're absolutely right. And when you see bond yields come down is usually when people are buying bonds and that money is flowing from the stock market, from equities into the bonds. It's kind of the opposite way right now. Um, I am a short-term bull. You're right. I am a short-term bull. Um, I am more of a sideways bear when it comes to things in the, in the future. I'm, th I'm saying three to four months out. And what I mean by sideways is that I don't think you're going to see the type of returns that you have seen in the past 10 years. I don't believe you're going to see 10% in the markets anymore, even if you just bought the S&P and said, forget about it. I mean, I can see you making 3 to 4% on a good year in anywhere between, you know, 25 to 3%. And I think that we are going higher. And I do believe technology is um, going to be the place to be in certain sectors. But I also think that there's a lot of crowded trades out there too. I think the cloud play is starting to become a lot crowdeder. Um, the what play? The, cr the cloud services. I think it's getting crowded again. I just think there's a lot of competition out there. Competition is a good thing. Yeah, there'll be winners and losers for sure. Competition. <clears throat> That's a good, good thing. Competition <clears throat> is good for price discovery. Competition is good for a lot of things because it brings out the, it, it, it'll, it'll bring out the better companies and show you who's making money and, who's just blowing smoke. Okay. You know, it, you know, these growth companies growing at 200, 300 uh, percent per year will come down. What I mean by that is they're not going to continue to grow at those particular rates. Growth to me is uh, going to be on the slimmer side, but it's not going to die off. And I believe that there are certain sectors that you're going to have to be in in order, and you're going to have to follow what, what that growth is. I couldn't tell you what that growth is right now. I know that we are going to be okay for the time being. I do not like the policies that are going forward with this administration, and I'm not going to say that I know where it's going. I'm not. I cannot tell you. I don't like what I see down the road, but I do like what I see right now. I want us to get out of this COVID. I want us to see what normally what normal really looks like back to normal, normal before this all, before the word COVID even was existed. I don't know. I cannot, I don't know. I'm fearful for what that's going to look like. 
I just don't know. Well, take a look at other countries because they're open. They opened up before we did pretty much in Asia. I think (sighs) they did. And that's apparently where it came from. With that said, folks, thanks for listening. Uh, You can, you can look forward to us on Twitter, Marco Marzacco, you Ileana Mike and Dow 30 K. We'd like to hear from your feedback. If you'd like to be a guest on the show you can also tweet us and we'll look look into getting you on the show if you're a qualified guest and with that said we'll see you next week take it easy